And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. on Total Soccer Show, the weekly episode where we sink our teeth into a meaty topic in the beautiful game. Today, we're talking about Manchester City, whose progress under Pep Guardiola might have reached its zenith this season. The citizens are two games away from completing a historic treble as we record, and they only seem to be getting stronger. Today, we're talking about their successes, the keys to their progress, and we address the elephant in the room, the multiple financial allegations levied against them. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello. We have Graham Rothington. Hello, Graham. Hello. Rothington, that is. And Joe Lowry. Hello. <laughs> this is this is going to be the best episode in the history of the Total Soccer Show. There'll never be a greater episode than this one. Or um, it's going to be the worst episode of all time. Also, Ryan, do you love Julia Roberts? I'm just, I'm just trying to do all He's the pepisms like, right at the pay. top. Yeah. Very good. I, Come I on, think, guys. Was I the only one who came back from the World Cup break overweight? Or is that... No? No. <laughs> Keep him coming, Joe. Keep going. Nah, that's it. That's all. Okay. Ryan, okay. Ryan all right. certainly did. Blame the Popeyes, the daily Popeyes. <laughs> I've never really recovered from those daily Popeyes in New York, Graham, if I'm honest. Uh, but thank you for noticing. Look, Graham, I'll start with you. I, I mentioned just uh, just there at the top of the show that this Pep Guardiola project, I hate using that word, but this, this Pep Guardiola tenure might have reached its zenith. It might be the very best version of this Manchester City team that we've seen. Do you agree? And how good exactly are this team right now? I do agree. So I said that maybe a couple of months ago um, that I thought this Man City team was the best Pep Guardiola Man City team we have seen so far. We obviously had that kind of transitional period in the first half of the season. Erling Haaland arrives from Dortmund last summer. It takes a bit of time for City to work out what they're doing with him. He's still scoring goals, but there was a number of matches where he was kind of isolated and not really part of their possession play, which is obviously a big part of what Man City do under Pep Guardiola. But then they round the corner. I would I would say the turning point was a period between kind of late February into early March where Man City really start to hit their stride. And they are just blowing away teams. There's there's a there's a a, a run where they go seven 0 against Leipzig, then six 0 against Burnley, then four one against Liverpool, then four one against Southampton, and then there's the three 0 home win over Bayern Munich. That Bayern home leg in the Champions League is when I think we all realise just how good this City team is. Until then, there were kind of different parts of the City team that were functioning well but not really all together in the, in the same match and that Bayern Munich match is what I remember as the point where City kind of completed the equation and they became this complete team and look over time opposition teams and managers will find weaknesses in Man City there will be ways that they can be got at right now though it doesn't really feel like opposition teams are at that point we don't really know how to hurt this Man City 
team at least not for full 90 minutes of matches I don't even know if that's possible so yes I agree this Man City team are at the the, the peak of their powers right now and right now under Pep Guardiola mm. Joe would you agree with that and can this team get even better Yes, that second part, absolutely. The f- The first part is really hard for me. I-, I think last season's Manchester City team was phenomenal. I think they've had some other really good se- really good seasons and some other really good teams. But the big thing, and Graham talked some about this, and we've talked about it in the past, is it almost feels like there's a before and after for this club this season with the beginning of the season having some real struggles, even into like the, the winter transfer window, and then them figuring things out. So if we're talking about the last four months or, or maybe last three months and where this city team stands today. Maybe this is goldfish brain, but for me, they do seem like the most dominant team that we've ever seen out of, out of Pep Guardiola, out of we've ever seen out of Manchester city, but I'm not sure that this 2022, 2023 version of Manchester city on the whole has been that, but maybe that just means they deserve even more credit for overcoming some different obstacles for trying to take the next step in their club evolution. I don't think this group is like miles ahead of past teams, but the the version of this team that we're going to see take the field in the Champions League final against Inter Milan, they are extremely impressive and yeah, probably the the best version of City that we've seen. Do you concur, Taylor Rockwell? I think they're the best team that Pep Guardiola has coached, personally. I think they beat any other team he's coached pretty convincingly. So the obvious question there is better than his great Barcelona team. Yeah. I do. I think, and I think that's not a shot against Barcelona. This is my extended analogy. Uh, are you all all caught up on Marvel to like Avengers Endgame? No. Yes. <laughs> Sorry to laugh, but no. There's so many films. Yeah. Okay. That, that's well, actually where I jumped off. Yes. Okay. Well, I, maybe I'll avoid that spoiler then. But basically, I think the the difference would be that Pep Guardiola has had to learn and evolve with each job he's taken. So there's Barcelona, obviously, Tiki Taka, uh, they possess teams to death, but also are very efficient in the way they attack and score goals. He goes to the Bundesliga, where he uh, has to adapt his tactics because so many teams are big on pressing and counter-pressing that I, I think he realizes pretty quickly. You have to evolve, you have to adjust, plus you have uh, Robin and Ribery. You can't just not have wingers, and that's where we start getting the uh, the fullbacks moving into central midfield, and you get Lam and then Kimmich and then Alaba playing central midfield, and he starts making those adjustments based on the strengths of the Bundesliga, and I think mostly figures it out. Then he goes to Man City, where now you have even less time on the ball. That's a big hallmark of, of English football is the pressing, the intensity, uh, how quick everything happens. And I think he continues to evolve his teams such that this Man City team is really so consistently strong in so many different positions. Joe, I think you're absolutely right that they have things to figure out and have moments of vulnerability. I'm sure we'll talk about those. But these last few months, I, I don't know how you beat them. I don't think there's much... You can do even Real Madrid trying to sit deep and frustrate. They will still find a way through or they'll score from distance or they'll hit you on the break. I think there's just so many different ways this city team can attack and can play. Positional play, obviously, chief amongst how Pep has built all of his teams, but this team especially. I just think they, because of how much Pep has had to evolve in his career, I think he's brought that to this City team. And then Erling Holland is pretty much unplayable when he is unplayable. So I, I think for all those reasons, I think this team beats uh, his Bayern teams and his Barca teams. I can certainly see the argument. I mean, that Barcelona team was was so good and they set the kind of zeitgeist for an entire generation yep. that I'm, I'm maybe not quite at the point of saying this Man City team is better. I maybe need to see a bit more evidence over a couple seasons or, or something like that. But I agree that that great Barcelona team 
you could there was there was a, a pretty set game plan of how to beat them and that's not to say it worked every single time but I think of that Chelsea win at the camp now and against Barcelona in the Champions League where essentially they, they played in the break they kept Fernando Torres up there constantly regardless of the pressure that Barcelona were putting on them and essentially the plan was just lump the ball up to him every so often and and catch Barcelona in behind I don't think you can do that to the same extent against this Man City team because they've got Kyle Walker. I know he's getting on a little bit, but he's still incredibly quick. They've got players like Manuel Akanji, who I think is so intelligent with his positional awareness and his spatial awareness and the way he plays that left-back and centre-back hybrid role. I think he's one of the signings of, of, of the season in the Premier League. So I agree, Taylor. At, at this point, and maybe it becomes apparent over time, maybe someone clever works it out, mm-hmm. but right now I don't know how you beat City. Yeah, and that's why I, I honestly think if this City team played that Pep team, that Barca team, I think this City team wins pretty comfortably, to be honest. Wow. Because, And that is not saying... Like I know that sounds controversial, but it's basically I think that Barca team at the time is the is the best team we've seen, or certainly the best team of that era. But I think it's because Pep has had to adapt and learn. He knows how to beat that Barca team, basically. And I think so much of that team was tiki taka, slow it down, keep possession. Teams would sit off, teams would give them time and space in La Liga, and they were able. Like the only team that doesn't do that basically and finds a way to get through them is Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid team, and that is a team that are hell-bent on finding a way to beat them, and it requires them to be comprehensively good across the entire season. I think the way this team has learned to break down a low block, the way they've learned to play on the counter if they have to, I just think that they bring so many different looks that, like Javier Mascherano dropping in as a center back, I think that's something that present-day Pep Guardiola uh, would know how to handle and be able to handle. It's it's where I was going with the Thanos analogy of the the veteran Thanos who's seen some things and had to make sacrifices and learn from those sacrifices versus the young Thanos who's maybe all about like, ah, I'm the most powerful guy in the world. I think young Pep didn't have to struggle as much. Like He just comes in and is like, oh, this is really easy. I'm winning everything. I think present day Pep has had to figure some things out and deal with people along the way and, and learn from it. Graham, would you rather watch all of the Marvel movies or finish Ted Lasso? <laughs> the, the Marvel movies. Let's go. Oh, I wow. thought you were going to say. Wow. I thought you were going to say uh, Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, which I, I wasn't a great fan of watching them either. I find them a little bit boring, <laughs> as effective as they were. But yeah, I'll pick the Marvel Marvel Graham. movies over Pep's Barcelona as well. There's like 35 Marvel movies, and they're all three hours long. Come on, rethink that. Nah, still better, better <laughs> written, nah. and there's funnier jokes nah. and oh, better boy. acting. Graham wants to watch Iron Man two. Iron Man 2 is what Graham wants Graham to watch. Graham likes his bird, Taylor. Lasso. Graham likes his bird. That's always I think I've seen... Oh, I have seen that one. I've seen that one. That's with uh, Ben oh Kingsley, God, right? So sorry. <laughs> That's such a dumb plot point of that stupid, stupid movie. Joe Lowry has broken my brain. Thank you, Joe. Well done, Joe. That's the one with Sam, that's the one with Sam Rockwell, right? And yeah. Kingsley. I have seen that one. It wasn't good. <laughs> All right, man. All right, Joe, uh, bringing us slightly back on track. Uh, Taylor has mentioned some of the tactical elements and the the changes that his team has made. Many people would say say, the 2017-18 Man City is a kind of vintage of the Pep Guardiola City era. What evolutions have we seen this season? How different is this Man City to ones of seasons past? It's a lot different, to be honest. It, it, It still plays the same way in terms of, yes, they want to build from the back, they want to control the game. They defend in the same shape that we've seen them use, certainly dating back to last season in that 4-4-2. Nothing particularly crazy on the defensive side, although they do press very, very well, which is something that I don't think Pep Guardiola gets enough credit for. But man, the, the thing that changed is the fact that 
they have to possess the ball differently than they used to. And I know that sounds maybe kind of small and like a minor thing, but it's been really impactful for Manchester City this season. I think Pep Guardiola summarized it really well with a quote in January. He said, Many times in the previous seasons, we played with a false nine and had an extra player in the middle. Now the extra player is in the box, referring to the opposition's penalty box. So we have to adjust something. And that, I think, perfectly encapsulates what City had to figure out almost on the fly with Erling Holland in the team this year is instead of it being Phil Foden or, you know, Bernardo Silva at times played as a number nine, instead of it being that player dropping in to give them a plus one in midfield, they have a plus one in the box, which is useful when you arrive in the box, but makes building and doing all of the possession-y kinds of things that Manchester City want to do, it makes that much more difficult. Like City, pretty objectively, were more fluid back when they played with a false nine. Like you would see that nine popping up in different positions. You would see them interchanging. You would see more rotation. They would move a lot more when those players didn't have the ball. They would even rotate a bit more when they did have the ball. But then when Erling Holland comes into the mix, he's not dropping back to the sixth spot. He's not rotating out to the wing. He's playing the number nine role, and he's waiting for the split-second moment where he's going to be able to turn, spin in behind, make a diagonal run from right to left, get the ball on the left side of the box, and shoot really low and really hard into the bottom right corner of the net. Like, that's what Erling Holland does. Everybody knows it. It's like Arnie Robin. Everybody knows what's, what's coming, and it's so difficult to stop. But it's only difficult to stop when he's actually getting the ball. Right? It's only difficult to stop and you're only afraid of Erling Holland when he's on the ball racing behind you or when he's making an off-ball run and a through ball is going to meet his run and he's going to take one touch in the box and fire it low and hard into the bottom corner. Like, that's when you're afraid of Erling Holland. The issue for City this season and, and what really had to change for this year's version of Manchester City compared to previous seasons is how do you accommodate that player? How do you then basically go 9v10 at times outfield? How do you uh, how do you figure out a way to find Erling Holland? How do you figure out a way to integrate him into the team and it took them real time. Like the, the beginning of the season, they're playing out of a pretty fluid 4-2-4 or maybe 4-3-3, depending on the moment. The second half of the season, and this is where Taylor's player of the season, John Stones, comes into play, you know, they, they start to shift. And it becomes much more of like a 3-4-2-1. And that shift mixed with just more reps with Erling Holland and, and players' understanding of, okay, where does he want to go? How do we find him? What kinds of passes does he like to receive? How do we integrate those into how we want to play between Pep's changes and, and players growing more comfortable, we start we started to see City become this dominant yeah. team that that always felt like they could be when they went out to sign Erling Holland over the summer. But it, it wasn't easy, and it, it really did indicate a major shift in how City wanted to and, and really how they needed to attack this season. And if you look at some of the the lineups that Pep picked in the first half of the season, even up until kind of February time when he was figuring things out, you can see that that process you can see that process that he's going through to solve the problems that joe has just kind of outlined there so the match that they lost at home to brentford city have yalconcello at left back they have john stones at right back and it's foden on the left when they lost to liverpool at anfield it was a back three but not like the back three we eventually saw man city use there was wing backs in that city team and one of them was phil foden um in another match it was bernardo silva in that Liverpool match, though, you have that De Bruyne and Gundogan kind of duo in behind Haaland, which we obviously saw more of in the second half of the season, and that worked very well in the end. And having John Stones push into midfield then allows those two players to push on and get closer to Haaland and ensure that we don't see as many of those matches. It still happens occasionally, but we don't see as many of those matches where Haaland is having like 20 touches of the ball and just not being involved in, in, in possession play at all. Bernardo Silva, as I say, he played one match at, at, at left wing back, which really didn't work because he was jumping forward in, in engagements and then 
leaving space in behind. So Pep used a lot of the first half of the season to work out what he had within his own squad because the problems that he had were new problems. He needed to work out which players could could address those problems. And eventually we get to this system of you know, the back three, John Stones in central midfield, the Kanji playing that hybrid left-back, central-back role, Stones dropping into center, central defence when he needs to, and then having De Bruyne and Haaland closer, eh, De Bruyne and Gundogan, excuse me, closer to Haaland. That is pretty much the the system that Pep kind of settled on eventually. Yeah, and I, and I think with that, even with that settling, I believe I'm correct in saying City went the entire season without ever playing the same starting eleven from one game to the next. Only, I think, three clubs did that in the Premier League, City are one of them which I think speaks to that experimentation early on, but also it speaks to his willingness to rotate players, to put different players in stronger positions or accentuate different matchups and rest some players at the same time. But I, I think that flexibility and fluidity in the way they want to play is what has made them so special this season. And I, and I think also the ruthlessness along the way, uh, specifically Jao Cancelo, who, as you said, Graham, is starting games in the season and then is let go in January or loaned uh, to Bayern Munich. Uh, and it it seems like it's basically that, in my mind at least, I'm sure there's some some personality clashes or whatever, but I think also it's that we, we don't really see City playing with fullbacks anymore. It's basically four center backs uh, in, in some manner of understanding. Kyle Walker can go either way, I guess, but has been a right center back for them for a good long while and for England too. But it's uh, Nathan Ake, it's John Stones, it's from Adias. Um so I think that sort of evolution as well, it shows the practicality of Pep saying, all right, like right, I'm not going to play with this type of player anymore, so we can loan him out. It does feel like fullback has been the one that he has been most ruthless uh, in his time at Man City. I feel like we've gone through a number of them on the left side and the right side, but I guess we continue to see that this season, and it hasn't really hurt them. All right, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we continue with the Man City conversation, looking at the squad additions they've made, some of the key results they've had this season, and much more back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Now, before the break, guys, each of you very eloquently laid out the evolution that this team has made uh, this season and perhaps in, in, in the past few seasons. So, Joe, I think this might be a difficult question, but can I, but can I ask why this evolution has happened and why it's been necessary? Uh, is it simply as a case of accommodating someone like Erling Haaland? Is it because of changes in the way opponents have faced them? Is it because you have to, you can't keep doing the same thing year on year? Why are we at this stage with City now that we weren't maybe a season or two ago? I think the root of it is Pep getting getting bored. To be honest, like I think that's that's why we've seen City undergo this mini metamorphosis this year is because Pep's done basically everything you can do. Like Manchester City, Barcelona, a lot of these big clubs, right? Like we know what to expect. We know how they play. You think about other 
other elite teams around the world, we expect them to kind of play the same way with a number nine that can contribute a little bit in possession is also going to get in the box and score goals with either wingers or fullbacks are going to stay really wide and spread the field. And you're going to have this positional play. Like we know what that looks like. We don't really know what a, a team that does those things and also straps Taylor. I want to give you credit because I think about this all the time when we talk about Erling Holland that straps like a dinosaur on top yep. of an ATV. Like, like we don't know what that <laughs> looks like where you add this giant spear onto the top of your very effective and well precise and 3D printed weapon. Like we, we haven't seen this before. And I think Pep Guardiola wanted to do something new. And, and so really, Ryan, with that as the foundation of, of this team evolving and saying, hey, let's go, let's go get the dino. Like let's go get the spear and put them on top of our possession shape and see what happens. Then comes, you know, okay, much more practically, you have to accommodate Erling Holland. And that's kind of what I talked about before the break, right? That's a factor. Another thing though, that Taylor mentioned that I think is interesting is with Yao Cancelo, you're right, Taylor. You mentioned before the break the, the fullback position changing and those players not really being a part of this team at their peak this season, and instead it being Jack Grealish on one wing, Bernardo Silva for the vast majority of big games on the other wing. Not players that we think of all the time as boots-on-the-chop kind of players, but were asked to provide with and did a very good job of being gravitational forces and drawing players out of position for the defensive side. You know, when Yao Cancelo leaves, I think that's also a catalyst for helping this team continue to f- figure out what they wanted to be and, and continue to figure those things out. He was not happy. Like, he he wanted to leave in the winter window. He wanted to play, and that wasn't really going to happen because Pep, I think, had, had realized, okay, maybe this is the next way we can evolve to help our team reach their peak. You know, there was that struggle back in January. Like, there was a loss to Southampton in the Carabao Cup, yep. and then, you know, difficult performance against, I think, Manchester United. They lose in that, yep. that derby. And then they're down 2-0 to Tottenham at halftime of, of the following game. And it just felt like there were a lot of things that were not going right for City in that period. Yao Cancelo leaves around that time. They start to find this new shape and, and this new comfort. Players seem to be reinvigorated and, and confident again, which I think was a real issue for them as intangible as that is. And I don't love to you know, swim in those waters a lot of the time, but I think they, they needed some change. And they got that. And Erling Holland started to find his, his path and his role in this team in a way that was actually constructive and you end up with this just monstrous team. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with with uh, a lot of what Joe just said, including uh, the accommodation of Erling Haaland. Because looking at the way they begin the season, uh, the opener against West Ham, I think uh, 2-0 win, I think Haaland gets both goals. One of which is Kevin De Bruyne playing a through pass, Erling Haaland runs on and scores. And I think in that moment, I felt like, oh, okay, like we know what this team is going to be. It's going to be through balls for Erling Holland. Nobody can handle him, and we do see that still as the season goes on, especially balls over the top. I think I what, what was the term we came up with? Like the Holland Wall, where basically anybody tries to run into him just bounces off. Like he's just impervious to any physicality. Uh, but uh, the Athletic did a very good piece about like the alternate understanding of the Premier League. I forget what the actual title is, but it's a lot of analytics to underscore what happened this season. And when you look at teams that relied on through balls to attack. It's Manchester United that most often did that. City, not nearly as much because they, I think, evolve how they use Erling Holland, And we do see him doing, I would say, like Harry Kane-esque things of dropping deeper, never being that like the point of the diamond in that, as we talked about, as Joe talked about. But I think he does do a lot of moving away from the center backs to then re-engage the center backs when they're sort of not prepared for it or have lost track of him. And I think the way they get more out of Erling Holland is critical at the beginning of the season when they have that win. I think it's after that West Ham game. I forget which teammate it is came out and said like, yeah, Holland's great, but he has to learn to play the way we want to play. And and I think 
that was telling in the moment that they're not just using him to be this battering ram to score goals. He is going to have to evolve his game, and they're going to work with him on how to do that. And I think now we see him in this final form, he's he's pretty difficult to play against. And if you overly focus on him, then you just open up space for other teammates. So that's a big thing, I think, is how they sort of incorporated Erling Haaland and adjusted the tactics accordingly. But I also do think that there is a practicality from Pep Guardiola. Joe talks about him getting bored, but I think it is also him needing to evolve. A very good example of that would be in their win over Brighton. Brighton set up very, very high up the pitch. They're trying to take away uh, City's ability to play through the middle, but also play wide. So they had, I think, five players when City go to take a goal kick. And this was a routine thing that teams tried to do because in the early days, we would have like Pep Guardiola when it's Joe Hart, slavishly devoted to play out of the back no matter what. Do not go long. Keep the ball. Keep possession. It's all about ball retention. And this year, they score a goal from Adairson against Brighton. Adairson hoofs it long, and Erling Haaland drops in, engages the center backs, pulls him with him, and then turns around and sprints into where the ball went, and Adairson gets an assist for an Erling Haaland goal. And there is, I think, a willingness to be like, oh, okay, you're going to adjust to my game plan? Well, then I'm going to do what teams historically have done against the press and bypass it with a long ball. And it works. And so there is, I think, a com- combination of... Um, like philosophy to this team combined with practicality. And I think finding that balance has been the key for them in the stretch run of the season. And and Jack Grealish's evolution as well, I think yep. has been a yep. factor in City becoming a, a, a more rounded team. So I found a, an article from The Analyst, which is a, a very good site run by Opta, a lot of data-driven content on there. They looked at how Grealish had changed his his game from last season to this season and in his kind of goal creating actions he's taking much fewer or far fewer touches of the ball in, in in those moments so I think last season Jack Grealish comes into a team where in possession City would slow the the play down to walking pace at times and Jack Grealish instinctively thinks oh well I need to do that as well but actually it, Pep wants him to be the person who speeds it back up again and drives into the box and that is the role that Jack, uh, that Grealish, Jack, I was going to call him Jack there as if I know him. Sometimes it feels like you Jackie do. Boy? No, Jackie Boy, yeah, mm-hmm. my pal Jackie Boy. JJ. Um, when he drives into the into the box and that has, has his purpose in the City team. Also, that article highlighted how this season he's actually staying wider for yep. Manchester City, which is kind of counterintuitive because you think, well, Jack Grealish, you want him in central areas. That was where he did a lot of damage for Aston Villa. I know he's always been kind of a wide, uh, uh, if you had to plot him on a team, he's a wide player, but He's always been very good at cutting inside, but Pep has obviously looked at how he's not getting much width from his non-existent fullbacks now. And so Jack Grealish is, it's kind of similar to, they are very different players. Um, Pedri was never a dribbler, but I look at how Pedri for Barcelona was very important in the way that he kept the width. And I think Grealish to a certain extent does that for Man City, but he also has the ability to just dribble past you and set an, uh, sets, uh, an opposition player on fire as we've seen a num- number of times this season. So... Yeah, he, I think he is. I know Haaland is the, the headline kind of player for Man City this season, but Grealish isn't too far behind him in that respect for me. Yeah, Graham, that, that evolution of Grealish has been very important and it's crazy to think how much more impactful he's come from when he first arrived, certainly. Uh, but can we talk about some of the other players who've been uh, changes to the personnel this season? If you look at the kind of players who left last summer, it was Fernandinho, Jesus, Raheem Sterling, Zinchenko, some big names going out of this team. So what... What what came in and was it all a success? I'm looking at you, guy who came from Leeds and didn't play. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you have Calvin, Calvin Phillips comes in for about 50 million euros, doesn't really play that much, but we'll see what happens because uh, that's what, like, Jack Grealish, as Graham already pointed out, uh, didn't have the greatest breakout season, so maybe Calvin Phillips next year becomes the new Rodri, but Rodri is the one who I think has, has had another sort of quietly lights-out performance. I, I think in the Premier League he had the most passes and the highest pass completion rate under pressure of any player in the league. So his ability to find passes and keep the ball and make smart passes while under pressure is instrumental. I think I often think of him as a more defensive player uh, or as a player who can't beat Scotland. Graham, I'll throw that one in for you. Uh, but in but in this case, I think how good he is on the ball is something that I kind of consistently forget about. I never forget about how good Kevin De Bruyne is on the ball. But then he goes and like splits seven pa- uh, players or takes out seven players from Newcastle in one pass to set up Bernardo Silva for an easy goal. I think megging Joe Willock along the way. And I'm just reminded of how good he is in possession and finding those little gaps to exploit. And then against Real Madrid, uh, how good he can be at just hitting the ball really well and scoring a goal. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne remains an incredible player who I think because Erling Haaland has had the season he has had, flies slightly under the radar and and I think is worth uh, spotlighting here for just being uh, incredibly solid in the midfield. Same goes for Ilkay Gundogan, uh, who is reportedly set to leave or likely to leave, and I think that will be a tough one. Maybe that's where Calvin Phillips comes in and they evolve the style again. Uh, but Ilkay Gundogan also uh, quietly but also loudly very good if those two things can exist simultaneously. All right. Joe, can we can we sign point to any significant moments in this season that are perhaps turning points or important, you know, points in this season? Maybe not even just wins. Like obviously there was big wins over Arsenal, was big significant Champions League wins. But you know, this team lost to Brentford twice. One was in a very different circumstance to the other, but there were some some losses and some maybe unexpected results as well. Are there some big key moments we can highlight from this season that have shaped this team? Ryan, I really like that question. I, I think there was a lot of those moments this season for City. The big narrative at the beginning of this year in the Premier League wasn't about Manchester City, really. I mean, they, they started off well. They won a lot of games early on. But then it was Arsenal and a little bit of Newcastle. But it was Arsenal taking the lead and, and really being in control of the Premier League deep into the, the first half of the season, even heading into the second half. At the turn of the year, City were third in the table. <laughs> not first, not second. They were third. Uh, one point behind Newcastle and eight points behind Arsenal. So the beginning of the season, I think, had a number of of really impactful moments for this team. They struggled in October. They had another blip around the World Cup. And then problems in January and early February. And I kind of mentioned one of those results earlier in the year that I thought was particularly impactful or one of those strings. It was the loss to Southampton, issues against Manchester United, and then down 2-0 to Tottenham. Like, like that moment against Spurs that they come back and win 4-2 on January 19th. Like that, I think, was a very important result from this team from what I've read and, and from quotes that I've read from players and from people around the club. Like at that time, they're dealing with uh, a lack of real confidence, maybe some stagnation in the team because a lot of these players have been here for a while now and they, they were not having the same success that they expect to. Yao Cancelo obviously was unhappy in that period. I mentioned that earlier as well. Lots of issues and a lack of confidence at that time. Pep goes in, from what I've read, at halftime and, and kind of lays into his guys a little bit. And they need to show something in the second half. They're, they're getting further and further away from where they need to be at the top of the table. And again, they come out and look really sharp in the second half, score some very, very good goals, and win 4-2. And, and at that moment, that was like a, a moment for me where I think, okay, this is the City team that we kind of 
expected, or if not expected, thought we could see with Erling Holland as a part of them and with all the other talent they have. And then you come on, Ryan, you mentioned some of the successful moments. If that's a, a difficult moment, you get to the success, which is really, for me, summed up in that win against Arsenal, although the massive win over Leipzig in the Champions League is another really good one. But I think Arsenal are a, a much better team than RB Leipzig. So I thought this was more revealing. It was on a Wednesday. Like, I remember exactly where I was when I watched it. J- April, I know my month's April 26th. Like, they went up 2-0 in the first half, Manchester City, and were the dominant team from kickoff. Like, they looked like the team that always should have been leading this race. They looked like the best team in Europe. They looked like the team that that deserved all of the praise that we're now giving them. They played such a good game. And I know that wasn't even their first win over Arsenal of the season, but that was when it became very, very clear to me that this is the team that's going to do it. And this is the team, other than Real Madrid, in my mind, like, that that is going to win the Champions League. Like, it was going to be one of those two. And I know Inter is still in it, and they've absolutely got a chance. But their performance in that match and, and coming back in some difficult moments earlier in the season, those are, are some of the big moments and the big turning points for this City team that really stand out. All right, we're going to take a break. Before we do, Taylor, one more question for you. Uh, as Joe outlined there, we've got an FA Cup final coming up for Man City. We've got a Champions League final as well, Man United and Inter Milan, respectively. How do City not win these games? What What is the circumstance in which they don't walk away with the treble at this point? What What could happen that could go wrong, I suppose, is my question. I, I really don't have a very good answer for you for Man United. For Inter, I talked about it when we when we did our kind of abbreviated preview of this game. I, I do think if we're going with, I guess it's a stereotype, but I think it is apt that I think Italian teams are more adept at doing the defensive side of things and willing to do the, the, the really hard work defensively to limit opportunities, limit uh, shooting potential and shooting possibilities and keep where teams are able to shoot to like low percentages. And I think Inter if they focus on the defensive side of things, can really frustrate and then obviously look to, to hit on the break and try to maybe ca- catch Man City uh, pressing a little too high or committing numbers too far forward or just feeling the pressure of the situation. It's their opportunity to win the Champions League, something Pep hasn't been able to do since Barcelona, some, something that Man City haven't ever been able to do. So maybe it's it's the nerves of the moment combined with a perfect game plan from Inter Milan for Manchester United, they've beaten City this season. They've also lost pretty emphatically to City this season. Uh, so it could go either way. I think it requires Eric Ten Hag gambling a little bit and trying some different things, but also not gambling too much to the point where they just get blown out of the water. But I, I think I think the FA Cup, I, I don't have high hopes for that one, uh, though I will always have slight hopes as a Man United fan. Uh, but the Champions League, I don't think, is as much of a foregone conclusion as people yeah. are are saying it is. I do still think Manchester City are heavy favorites, but that's the one where I can see them just feeling that pressure, feeling that intensity, feeling the nerves of the moment, and then uh, how they overcome them will be maybe the story of the game. Nothing that happens in those two matches is going to change my mind on Man City being the best team in Europe. I kind of agree. But if they were to lose those matches, I think you're just looking at at something as simple as some key players for opposition teams having lights out games, like Marcus Rashford sticking one in from 25 yards, or Nicola Nicola Barella having the game of his life, or Lukaku and Martinez doing Lukaku and Martinez things. That's kind of what I come to in terms of imagining how... That's what I land on in terms of imagining how they could lose those matches. But as I say, I think at this point, Man City, the evidence is there that they're the best team in Europe. All right. On that note, we'll take one more quick break. When we come back, 
we're going to address the big old elephant in the room and much more back shortly. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Manchester City are a very successful team with lots of money and they have very powerful lawyers who keep them in the game and have done, allegedly, after breaching certain rules. Uh, the big elephant in the room for this season is that in February of this year, Man City were charged by the Premier League with several alleged breaches of financial rules. Uh, that situation has been referred to an independent commission at the moment. They're basically charged with breaking financial fair play rules for over 100 instances over a nine-year period. And that period is between 2009 and 2018. In that period, Man City won the league three times. The allegation is complicated, but it's basically that they allegedly didn't provide accurate financial information during that period. Uh, This is compounded by 
the UEFA ban, the suspended ban they had as well in February 2020, they were banned by UEFA from European competition for two seasons. They were also fined 30 million euros. Oh, no. Uh, that ban was overturned by CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Uh, they essentially, Graham, got off on a technicality on that one. It's a statute of limitations on that uh, punishment. The Premier League does not have the same statute of yeah. limitations rules. So a points deduction is possible. It's even possible that the other league members will push for expulsion, for relegation for Man City, should they be found guilty. But this is an investigation that's been going on for over four years. It was the period 2009 to 2018, as I mentioned. It's been dragging on. It's going to keep dragging on, I imagine, Graham. So I don't think we're going to get any instant um, uh, results from this investigation. But there's a lot hanging over them. But I'd still get the feeling, Graham, that Man City just don't care too much about this kind of stuff maybe they're 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 uh you know i'm thinking about the fire trucker lawyers coming for us here but if you look at what i've mentioned this several times the amazon documentary where they meant they say words to the effect of if uefa come at us with a 50 million fine we'll spend 100 million quashing it so that's their attitude yeah. we will we will douse out your fire with our financial hoses and I, and I certainly get the impression that, that that financial might and that stance from Man City means that nothing really consequential is going to come from this whole investigation. That That's my hunch anyway. Maybe I'll, I'll be surprised and something does, something real does come of it. Um, did anyone catch Man City, uh, excuse me, Pep Guardiola after the end of the Premier League season in his press conference saying, like, hurry up and just decide what the punishment is when one of the allegations against Man City is that they're not cooperating yep. with the Premier League and they are <laughs> the ones delaying the investigation into them. So a bit of a disconnect there between Pep and, and his own employers. But yeah, as I say, I, I don't get the sense that there's going to be real consequences for Man City. It is important to note that the charges on this Premier League charge sheet, they stop at 2018. So in terms of this season, I don't know if there will ever be any impact. Um, The Premier League does decide its own punishments and the independent panel that that has been handed this this case, this big long charge sheet, um, they could technically recommend anything. So it's kind of difficult to know what the possible punishments are Whereas, you know, with other leagues, there's constitutions or UEFA constitutions you can look at and see, well, if you do this, then this is how you get punished. There isn't really that framework or, or there aren't those parameters for Man City in, the, in this specific case. But points deductions have been mentioned. That that would be for next season, I believe. Now, fines would seem to be the likeliest punishment. If there is one, that would be my prediction as a big fine. But obviously, as you kind of referenced there, Ryan, uh, in your lead oh, in, no. you know, I don't think they really care about that. Um, some have said City could be chucked out of the Premier League entirely. That is just <laughs> not going to happen. Um, even if you could make a case for it, it's yeah. not going to happen. I think the biggest impact could be in the kind of discourse around this team and around the the talk of City's success. Um, and you could argue that it will, certainly if you take a broader look at Man City under you know Sheikh Mansour, there's going to be this asterisk against them. And, and at least, at the very least, kind of doubt over how they've achieved that success and yeah. how they bought some of those players and how they were able to lure Pep Guardiola and things like that. Maybe City fans don't care about that, but it will always be a, a part of the discussion around this team. Yeah, I think it's telling about how much power in soccer at this point belongs to the club in that you know we can say that the biggest punishment that might come out of this is people saying mean things about Manchester City. Like, I think that is telling of where the power lies in this game, that it's it's not realistically going to be them 
getting tossed out of the Premier League. That's that's never going to happen. It's not in the Premier League's best interest. It's it's probably not going to be anything particularly major. I think we all agree that the most likely outcome is that they get fined, which is is a farce, right? It's it's really telling to me. I mean, there's a reason why, and this is, I guess, the maybe the depressing part about where soccer's going and the depressing part of this conversation. Like, there's a reason why we had the Super League proposal pop up, where a club sort of said, why why are we not benefiting more from this? Like, we're, all, we're the ones with the power. We're the ones with the eyeballs. We're the ones that, that are drawing eyeballs in, rather. Like, it, the landscape is changing, and I think there's a reason why. Yes, this has been discussed, and yes, there have been very serious pieces written about this and, and all this stuff, but this isn't going to be the last we hear about it. There's going to be more examples of teams doing this. There's going to be more conversations, but I'm not yet convinced that there's going to be anything other than conversations. Like that's kind of what Graham finished with is I don't, I don't think we have enough evidence to say that there is a party, even including FIFA, like even including these larger organizational bodies that are going to be willing to come in and say like, no, there need to be serious repercussions from this so that we prevent these kinds of things from happening again. As far as we know, as far as we've seen, I think, City's gonna get off pretty much scot free as far as they're concerned with things that matter. I don't. I don't think this is gonna be something that's really remembered a long time from now because I think it's gonna be commonplace, and we're seeing more and more of that. I mean, just this season we have Manchester City in this discussion, we have Juventus and in, in their discussion and points deductions and that sort of getting reversed and then not reversed and all these different things. I don't know. It doesn't leave me particularly optimistic about the direction of this sport because, like I opened with the clubs have all the power. Like they are, yeah. they are the most powerful entities in this. And I think that poses a problem for trying to regulate what they can and can't do. I don't disagree. I also think that perception is, is sort of what city and clubs like city want. I think yeah. they want us to think, yeah, they're not going to do anything. There's nothing to be done. These clubs are too powerful. And you look at the way they fought every step of the way. Uh, I think last time we talked about this, I compared it to, uh, OJ Simpson's defense attorneys and how they contested every single thing. Why do you need that many hairs for DNA? You shouldn't need that many hairs. Like like fighting every single thing Pep's gonna to delay things. Uh, what'd you say, Graham? <laughs> Pep's going to put on a glove. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and then it won't fit, and that will yeah. throw things into disarray as well. Uh, but but I think that's that's just part of the plan is you fight every single thing. You, you throw money, a.k.a. lawyers, uh, at it, and you contest the neutrality of of the independent panel that's reviewing things and oh that guy's tweeted about liking arsenal in the past he shouldn't be on this and and i think along the way you delay and you dilute the accusations and you do everything you can to sort of keep this from being front and center in the public eye and make it take forever such that it then is like what are the fa doing what like this is so ridiculous why is it lasting so long and that plays into that strategy and i think i would love if the FA did come out and say, no, we're going to relegate them. And I know that's never going to happen. But I think even just sort of publicly stating, here's what we're going to do, and then having to have it sort of boil down to a huge fine, or maybe there is a transfer embargo, or just something. I, I think it's, it's pretty clear to me, I don't think this is my bias, that they have breached a number of different uh, financial rules and financial boundaries. And I think they've done so pretty openly. And then I think that they have or as openly as you can, to then be caught. And then I think they've pretty pretty clearly, rather than cooperate, done everything they can to slow this process down and make it look silly or make it look like a witch hunt. And then I am I am sure that if we do get to a point where things are starting to seem like they're coming to an end, it's going to flip to, well, this club is doing it, and that club's doing it, and why aren't you looking into Manchester United's new owners? And I think we'll just keep getting distraction and deflection. And, and I think... 
people talking about the Super League being a foregone conclusion. Joe, you weren't doing that, but I've heard that argument as well. Like, why don't we just let this happen and then we can form our own other leagues? And it's like, no, that's what they want. <laughs> like, you're giving them what they want by sort of thinking it's not going to be a fight. And and I think that if, if there's going to be action, I hope it does eventually occur. And I hope it is more than just a ceremonial slap on the wrist because that doesn't really do anything. Yeah. I don't think it will be, but I, I still have a tiny bit of optimism that something will come of it because I think that's what needs to happen. One of the allegations is that they were they were paying Roberto Mancini yeah. basically a second contract. Mm-hmm. So they were... They were noting in their financial records the, the one contract, and then there was a second contract that they weren't noting in their financial records, and obviously then that's not counted for an, for financial fair play. That, and I am going somewhere with this point. That's essentially what Rangers did, not just with managers, but with players, right? They used this tax scheme called an EBT scheme. They, read, they noted the official contracts, but not the EBT contracts. And that's the only thing in my mind that makes me think maybe there is going to be a consequential punishment because the the single most shocking thing that has happened in my footballing life is Rangers, who are more powerful in Scottish football than Man City are in English football, being demoted down to the bottom tier of Scottish football. I never, ever, ever thought that was going to happen. And it did happen because the Scottish FA and the SPL at the time essentially were backed into this corner of, well, everyone thinks we're not going to do anything. So we're going to do something. We're like, that is human, that's human insta- instinct. You know, that's a human reflex to behave, to, to, re- to react in that way. And that's the only way I think City get a really serious punishment is if Richard Masters, who is the, the Premier League CEO, has that human instinct and acts on it. What I'm hearing is I hope the independent commission investigating is the New York AG because they were the ones who managed to bring down the Trump organization for paying off the books. Uh, they found it. Maybe maybe they should come in and do the same thing. For Are they Arsenal fans? <laughs> we, we shall soon find out. Uh, Baron Trump is. I think we know that. Anyway, um, <laughs> moving on swiftly, uh, City... For next season, obviously this season isn't over. We've got two-thirds of a treble to complete for this uh, team, Joe. What do you see happening next season? Do you see it's, it's a very difficult question, but do you see any further evolution here? Do you think they've got some kind of players and positions they'll have their eye on to move this project on? Yeah, yeah, I think we're going to see some retooling in the squad, certainly. This is an old team relative to the age of the rest of the teams in the Premier League. The average age of their starting 11s across this season in the Premier League was close to 28, and only three clubs in the Premier League had an average age of their starting 11 at 28 or older. So they were one of the absolute oldest clubs in the Premier League. We're going to need to see them continue to evolve and continue to push, at least on the player side. I'm not convinced we'll see a ton of tactical changes. We'll see Pep continue to to tweak and do little things and change shape and and maybe mess with, with some smaller things. But I think the big hurdle, which was finding how to get Erling Holland into this team, has been most mostly hopped over at this point, and that, that does bode well for how they will fare next year. Some players that I think might not be around next season, just based off of age and, and some things that we've heard. Gundogan is one that was mentioned earlier. He's 31 years old. Bernardo Silva continues to be linked to other places. You know, maybe he's moved on now in his late 20s. Kyle Walker is 32. We had Mars is 31. I think you know, we could see City certainly go after a central midfielder, maybe go after a winger, maybe go after a, a fullback or a center back, depending on how Pep views Kyle Walker at this point. Mateo Kovacic has been linked to, uh, to to Manchester City at this point. I know we'll see more transfer rumblings as the summer goes on, but those are some spots that I think we'll see City 
look into on the transfer front. Center backs to mention, I think, uh, Joseph Guardiola, excuse me, not Pep Guardiola, not Joseph Guardiola, but just got, wow, butchered that. Easy for me to say. Guardiola, we're going last name only from this point in time. He's been linked as well. So I would wager, Ryan, to answer your question, that we won't see a ton of tactical shifts in a major way, but it'll be yeah. more about you know fine-tuning the edges of the squad. And City are better than most big teams at kind of moving key players on when they need to be moved on and replacing them seam- uh, seamlessly. They've done it with Sergio Aguero, Vincent Company, David Silva. There's others that I'm forgetting as well. That Fernandinho. They've done, uh, Fernandinho. Gundogan is the, is the big question mark for me. Um, seems like there's a, a good chance he'll be a Barcelona player next season not sure how Barcelona make that work uh particularly given it's I think it's a three or four year contract apparently Gundogan wants so if he moves on finding a replacement for him I think is going to be pretty difficult because of the pretty unique role he plays for Man City where he has the qualities of a you know a a number six and and certainly a number eight but he quite often plays in a very advanced role as almost a second striker at times alongside uh Haaland so yeah, finding a replacement for him is going to be difficult, but if there's a club that can do it, it's it's Man City. All right, last question for the show, Taylor. Can anyone actually get lay a glove on this team? Can anyone get near them in the next few seasons? Are we essentially waiting for Newcastle's creep towards them to happen at this point? Oh, man, I'm just going to keep going with Avengers analogies. I mean, yeah, <laughs> d- dominance invites challenge, right? So I think teams will continue to evolve and adapt. Uh, I think especially uh, what we've seen from Newcastle. I think they're going to continue to spend and find ways to spend that will maybe become problematic down the road. You never know. Uh, But I think Newcastle, their emergence this season is one that could potentially uh, challenge Man City next year. I think Man United the same, depending on what happens with their takeover. Arsenal had a very strong season if they can sort of retool and re-strengthen. Uh, and then Liverpool, I think very much a down season, but already, I think, heavily linked with uh, McAllister, Alexis McAllister, and I'm sure they'll make some other pretty strong signings this summer. I don't know if any any of them are like presently or with a little bit of, of strengthening capable of handling what we've seen from City this season, but I think Pep has always shown an ability or willingness to evolve and adapt. And I think as he tries to do that, we're going to see more experimentation. So you could, I think if they do sort of come down, it will be because of a further squad depletion combined with new signings that aren't quite ready or don't quite understand the nuances or specifications of Pep's system. I, I think it's, it's cities to, to lose. Basically it's city to kind of let teams back in right now versus a team that seems well positioned to, to really cause them problems. It feels like Brighton right now are like the team that is most capable of, of creating confusion and chaos. And maybe that one-to-one draw is looming large in my head, but hmm. uh, I don't really know if any team can mount the sustained campaign to overcome city, but then also have the consistency required to see out a Premier League season when Manchester city aren't losing games for months at a time. All right. The TLDR is man city are good at the yep. soccer's. That's the uh, one. Joe Lowry, thank you very much for uh, your input on all things City today. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Graham Rutherford, same thing, but your name. Thank you, Ryan. And Taylor Rocco, thank you once again, sir, for your contributions on this pod. Thank you, Ryan, and thank you, as always, for hosting these episodes. You always do a very good job of keeping it moving, making sure we cover enough ground, but making sure we don't spend 45 minutes on tactics the way we might if, say, I were hosting this episode. So thank you for that, Ryan. Uh, I really appreciate uh, all your work. 
Oh, the pleasure's all mine, T-Rock. And listener, thank you the most. We love you very much. We'll be back on the feed next week with plenty more TSS. Head to patreon.com slash Show for the extras. But for now, bye! Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.